God is within you. That's what that song was saying. The love, the golden wings, it's all within each and every one of us. I don't know about you, but I was taught that there was a God outside of myself. And I was taught to pray to that God for things and for situations, for anything that I wanted because God had the power to give it to me. I'm here today to remind you that God does have that power, but God is not outside of us. That's not what we believe here at Unity. We believe that God is within each and every one of us. And our thoughts and our words become our prayers. Because when we pray, we're praying to God. But it's not to a God outside of ourselves, it's to the God within us. We're powerful beings. We think the thoughts that create the things that we want. It all comes from within. So my question is, are you consciously thinking about what it is that you want? And are your words saying what it is that you desire, knowing the truth of who you are, knowing the truth that God is here already, God is within you? I have a friend, Reverend Diane Scribner Clevenger, who's also a friend of Sean's. I met her when I was in Houston, and she wrote a book called Pray Attention. And when I thought about today's talk and the word, the title, Praying Attention, came to me, I was like, oh, that's so perfect. And it's perfect because, first of all, it's August, and August 6th was Myrtle Fillmore's birthday. So I wanted to honor Myrtle and talk about her today because she's the co-founder with her husband Charles of Unity, and they co-founded Unity based on prayer, based on the prayer, affirmative prayer that they use to heal their own bodies. The Unity movement is based on affirmative prayer. And I also wanted to talk about prayer because at the end of the month, in a couple of weeks actually, I'm going to be teaching a class called Unity Prayer. So I'm hoping that this inspires you to maybe Take a look, go a little deeper with your prayer practice. But let's begin today with Myrtle's story. And much of this came from a CD that was given to us at one of the retreats that we did. I listened to it practically every Saturday on my way, my trip down to Stonington. And it's a couple of different tracks, one of which is Myrtle saying her prayer of faith, and another is Myrtle's granddaughter telling Myrtle's story. And then the other three tracks are all affirmations. Some of them are James Dillett Friedman singing, as well as reading his poetry. And then there are some other people just saying affirmations. And it really ups, uplifts me all the way there and all the way back. But I also got some of this information from one of my favorite speakers and ministers, Reverend Kelly Isola, who was one of my teachers at Unity. And when she speaks about Myrtle, Myrtle comes alive for me, and I am hoping that that is what I do for my little story here for you. And Myrtle was born in 1845, which is actually 20 years before the Civil War. And she was born to Ohio farmers who were Methodists. And she was the eighth born of nine children. And her given name was Mary Caroline. And at a very young age, she decided she didn't like that name. So she changed it. And she really at that young age was really expressing her spirit, her independent spirit. 
And back then, girls and women were supposed to get married and have kids and raise their children. But Myrtle wanted to learn. Myrtle was different. And so what she used to do is she used to steal her brother's books and go and hide in the closet and read the books. She had many physical challenges from when she was a very young girl, but she didn't let that hamper her. She didn't let that stop her. She also, after high school, she started working for a newspaper in Columbus, Ohio. And at 21, she went to Oberlin College, which was the first college to let girls in, let women and girls and women in, as well as people of color. And she took the one-year liter literary course for women. And it was only one year because they wouldn't let women take four years of college back then. So after she graduated, she went on to Missouri to become a teacher. And she began helping children express their infinite potential way far ahead of her time. Myrtle refused to let conventional thinking keep her from her spiritual quest. But her fragile health took her to Denison, Texas. She was hoping that the warm weather would help her lungs. But instead, she met and fell in love with Charles Fillmore. And he was a, a boon, oh, I'm sorry, a child of the frontier. So after they got married, this frail schoolmarm of Methodist upbringing got on the stagecoach and crossed treacherous crosses over mountain passes and to the boon town of Colorado. Ultimately, her and Charles found their home in 1885, but at that point, now she's 40 years old and her, her health was really not good and her medical professionals were telling her she had six months to live and she better get her affairs in order. She didn't let that stop her. She continued to look for spiritual help. And on a spring night over 100 years ago, about 135 years ago, she walked into a lecture hall that gave her an idea that changed her life. The idea was not to let go of her until she and Charles created unity, a faith that eventually reached around the world and blessed the lives of millions of people. In one hour, Myrtle's total outlook toward herself and her world changed. The simple, divine idea that she was a child of God and that God's will for her could only be perfect life and wholeness got a hold of her mind and flowed through her body. And I want you to be aware, got a hold of her. She didn't get a hold of it. It got a hold of her, which I love that. The old belief that she was an invalid and was weak was washed away. She repeated over and over and over again, I am a child of God and I do not inherit sickness. I am a child of God, therefore I do not inherit sickness. In two years she healed her body and people around the world heard about it. So they came to her for healing. So she started writing letters and she hired people to write letters. And today she has two books. One of them is called Healing Letters and the other is How to Let God Help You which will be actually the book that we use in the class, How to Let God Help You. But Myrtle was very clear in her directions and her instructions to people that prayer was work, that everybody who wrote to her, they had to do their end. It wasn't just about her praying for them. They had to do their work also. The instruction was go into prayer and then go out into the world and apply that prayer and live that prayer in your body. She would say, if I speak truth and don't do truth, then I have been silent. In other words, we need to walk our talk. We need to really 
engulf what we're praying about, the thanks that we're giving for what it is that we desire. This is where Reverend Kelly made a great point, and Sean talks about this too. When somebody hears that, that, that there's a discipline or work to prayer, people get their, their feathers ruffled sometimes, and they may say things like, that's not my truth. And Sean would say, no, it's your opinion because truth is truth. But another thing that Reverend Kelly mentioned, which I really liked, was that becomes a weapon. It kind of stops a conversation. It's a way to shut things down. And what Myrtle would say to that is, let's go in and ask, what is the simple truth? What do we know? And we know that God is law. And we know that God is principle. And our first principle actually says, there's only one presence, one power, active as the universe and as my life, God the good. So that is what we know, that God is always present. Now, the other thing about unity is, Many people say that you know Myrtle is the heart of unity and Charles is the business end. But in writing, if you ever read any of Charles's writing, I know for me it's very difficult. Sometimes I have to read the same page eight times over. It's almost like it's stream of consciousness for Charles when, he, when you read his writings. Whereas Myrtle is very pragmatic. She's very organized and she just writes it down, the instructions as to what you have to do. So the first question is, what do you believe? Do you believe in the process or do you believe in the results? And the answer is yes to both of those because we need the process to get the results. And what the process is, the process in prayer is to change our consciousness. And that's something that stays with us forever. The request, the desire may not stay with us forever, but the change of consciousness we get to take with us to eternity. So you have to ask yourself, what do I believe? What do I believe that needs to be healed? And then you need to forgive yourself. Myrtle forgave herself once for seeing her body as weak and in, as an invalid. And then she went on with the affirmations. And that denial is not denying that she was weak, is not denying that she had sickness, that denial is denying that power that it had over her. Because there's nothing that God cannot be, oh, be stronger than. There's no condition in my body that is greater than God. I wanna read you something from Myrtle's book, How to Let God Help You. When you truly go to the Christ within yourself, instead of your own thoughts, you will receive whatever you need. When you truly drop thoughts of conditions and personal desires and personalities and center your attention on God and think God only and give thanks that only God is expressing and manifesting everywhere in this universe, then you will speedily dissolve the old error beliefs and their counterparts in the manifest world. It's all about remembering that God is within us and that power that we have. Christ is the real, this, she goes on to say, Christ is the real self of each individual. By seeing only the Christ in all people, we not only strengthen our own spiritual consciousness, but we help whom we contact to realize and express our innate divinity. I am made in the image and likeness of God with goodness as the foundation of my being. Those are words from Jesus, and they don't only apply to Jesus, they apply to all of us. I am made in the likeness and image of God. So we've got 
that we go in and we ask, what is it that needs to be healed within me? And then we forgive and we do a denial. But then we have affirmative prayer. And this is the most important part. And it's simply declaring the good that already exists. Rather than seeking deliverance, we tap into our innate divine nature. It's already here within us. We just have to connect with it. We just have to raise our vibration to that. Affirmative prayer allows us to remember that God is in every situation, just like Sean said earlier. We may not like the situation. We may not like that the internet isn't working, but God is in that situation right now, right here. In its simplest form, prayer is any conscious attempt to experience the presence of God. Any conscious attempt to experience the presence of God. It's a deliberate activity. That's why I said praying attention. We have to pray attention, like pay attention, to what we're thinking and what we're saying. One of seeking our oneness with God, of opening ourselves to the power of God as it moves through us in new and wonderful ways. As our awareness of the presence of God expands, prayer becomes an experience of being a part of God. So as we pray, we become closer to knowing and being a part of that God that we were born to be. It helps us to fill that true need, that longing, our true longing to live from a place of being one with God. That's what we came here for. Praying doesn't change God. Praying changes us. Praying changes people and we change our situations, or we change how we feel about our situations so that we can see beyond the situation. There's no need to beg God for anything. God already knows what is in our highest good and it's already here. We have access to that. And prayer becomes a way to express thanks for life and its blessings, those that we have and those that are still coming to us. Affirmative prayer acknowledges the truth that God is present in us in every situation and therefore the potential for us is beyond anything we can humanly imagine. Anything we can humanly imagine. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it has for me. It's, it's amazing how I could think of something and then one of the things is when my husband proposed to me, I had an idea of how I wanted that to look. And, the way he proposed to me was beyond my wildest dreams, and it was awesome. It just lifted me, and I remember some counsel that a good friend of mine said. She said, you know, you know you want to get married. Gabe knows you want to get married. Now let it go and see what happens. And I had to keep my mouth shut for about, let me see, that was June. So it was about two months. That was June. I had this conversation June 1st with my friend, and he proposed on August 14th. So two and a half months, I had to not say a word. <laughs> Just pray and know, know that whatever was going to happen was in my highest good. So Jesus also said, the Father and I are one. That means you too. That means me too. We are one with God already. There's a woman, Mary Cupferl, and she wrote a book, God Will See You Through. And her words are, if you accept this statement, that prayer is the answer, that prayer is power, and that prayer can change all things that need changing in your life. You have placed yourself in the stream of blessing that is available to all who ask in faith and believing. So if you're unhappy and you pray, you will find joy in your heart. 
Prayer is your inner contact with wisdom, understanding, and inspiration. Prayer is your awareness that the spirit of truth of which Jesus spoke is not only with you, but within you, ready to teach you all things. John 16, 13 says, The spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So when you, when you pray, see your life transformed. And don't feel bad that you haven't prayed or the way you pray. Just start praying now and be in that place of gratitude and thanks and affirming the truth, affirming what you already know, affirming the God within you. I mentioned last week or last month when I spoke about how when we pray, there's one thing, and I mentioned it earlier also, that prayer does for us increases our consciousness, it increases our faith, and that will never go away. The job we pray for may go away, the house we pray for may go away, the relationship we pray for may go away, the health we pray for may go away. These bodies that we live in are gonna go away, but we will take with us to eternity our consciousness and our faith. Our consciousness is undying, and any increase in faith is ours forever. So. Another way of looking at prayer in science of mind, they call it a spiritual mind treatment. Spiritual mind treatment is affirmative prayer. It involves a realization by the one praying that the good which is desired already exists in divine mind and only needs to be accepted in order to be experienced. So that which we're praying for, we just need to accept it as done, it is done. On spiritual mind treatment, there is a recognition of the unity of an individual with God. Spiritual mind treatment is a scientific approach to prayer because it is based on an understanding of universal laws, especially the law of mind, which says, what you think about, you create. It's what I started out with. What we think about, we create. Through the activity of this law, whatever a person deeply believes automatically tends to manifest in outward form. So when a practitioner sees God or perfection where a problem appears, the law of mind acts on the perception to bring about the change for the better. So it's all in our power, it's all in our mind, it's all in what we do. So as practitioners, we work on our own mind to recognize perfection in regard to a particular problem. It's a clearing away of the negativity or, or doubt or fear that's causing us to perceive that God is not here already. And finally, the last thing I want to talk about is the word amen. There are so many meanings for amen. In Hebrew, it means so it is, it is done, this is the truth. Thorndike, who is a famous psychologist at Columbia, says it's an expression of assent after a prayer, an expression of approval. In Revelation, amen, means the spirit of truth. In Isaiah, it means the God of truth. And in ancient Egyptians say that it is the master or the ruler. But amen is more than a word at the close of a prayer. It is state of consciousness. It is the acceptance of God in our life. It is a consciousness that says, I have spoken the word of God and will honor it. Anytime you accept anything as being true, you are saying amen to that thing. 
The consciousness of amen conditions us to keep our prayers positive and to release that power of faith to do its work through our prayer and treatment work. What you say amen, amen to is your master. End your prayer treatment with an emphatic realization that I have spoken the word, it is truth, I accept it, I know it is done, I rest in this consciousness. And all this is implied by your amen. <laughs>